Hey everybody, it's Steve with UnashamedUnafraid.com, a blog unashamed about sexual addiction recovery and unafraid of coming unto Christ for healing. Um, I am super excited to have Dave here. Dave, how are you? Doing good. Um, so I heard Dave's story, I, this is a while ago probably. Dave's like, I don't know. I don't even remember who you were, Steve. Six years ago. <laughs> so I, I originally heard Dave's story... Um, I think it was 2014. I think it was when I first came out with everything. Um, and so uh, just amazing guy, amazing story, um, amazing wife. When, when you shared before, I heard your wife share with you, and that was a cool experience. So um, she's pretty awesome. So like always, um, and if you've listened before, Dave, we just kind of start with, you know, the, where tell me where addiction started for you. So my first experience with uh, pornography, I don't remember exactly how old I was. Somewhere between seven and ten years old. Okay. Um, down at the bottom of my street, my grandpa owned some property, some old farm property, and there were some sheds there. Me and my cousin were down there, and we found somebody's stash. And, uh, you know, sure enough, that was pretty interesting to me. Um, sure. So we, you know, I, I looked at I looked at that for, you know, a period of time. I don't know, and we didn't tell anybody it was there, so I could go back and and look at it whenever I I wanted to. And um, after probably a week's time, my brother told my mom, and she went down there and found him and burned him. But uh, that was my first way to battle, exposure. mom. Right. Right. Uh, that was my first exposure to pornography. Um, and I knew that it, it did something for me emotionally, um, but it was quite a few years between that and any other kind of occurrence with, with addiction. Um, but in my, in my preteen, early teenage years, uh, I remember coming across pornography again and also discovering masturbation. And at that point, and it wasn't something I did all the time, but it was something that when I did it, I, I kind of felt some soothing, some relief, some pseudo connection that, you know, it, it, it began to serve a purpose for me really early. Um, purpose for, um, was it just, hey, this is exciting, this is kind of fun, or do you feel like it, it helped you deal with the pains of life, or what? Did, I mean, did you have a complex that you were like, I know this is wrong, but I'm going to do it anyways because it's kind of awesome, or yeah, what was I, the dialogue? I, I Teenage did, I, Dave. I did have that. I had, I mean, nobody had ever talked to me about it or, you know, told me specifically, you shouldn't be doing this. Or this religious? This Grew up in a religious home? Grew up in a religious home. Okay. Uh, yeah, LDS. Okay. Um, I had this thought in the back of my mind that I shouldn't be doing this, that it, it's wrong. Um, but, you know, it, I enjoyed it, so I kept doing it. Um, it was something, I guess, I mean... It, these thoughts didn't occur to me back then, but as I look back now, it was something that that I could do. You know, I was exercising my freedom, um, so in a way, it was kind of a rebellious thing. You know, because I was 
you know, grew up in a religious home, um, and we were more or less, we weren't, we weren't, like, forced to go to church. There wasn't, like, you know, there wasn't threats, and there wasn't violence and things like that, but it was more uh, kind of, uh, there was always this kind of guilt, shame associated with, you know, not wanting to go to church. Yeah, like, there was kind of an a underlying family rule or family culture that like this is what you do or right shame right or exactly. you're bad this, this is what the right answer is in case you were wondering right yeah so i think uh some of some of the reasons for my acting out just simply come from the shame that i felt for sometimes not wanting to go to church mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. sometimes there was there was some shame for me regarding uh, my family you know I grew up in a small town everybody was a cowboy and a farmer and my family wasn't uh, we didn't have a lot of money a lot of times my pants were too short and you know, my I had holes in my knees and uh, well can, and can I just say when you're a kid that stuff is such a big deal well I didn't know it was a big deal until somebody asked me one day hey when's the floods coming I'm like I don't know what that you know what does that mean what are you talking about well, your pants are so short. It looks like you're getting ready for the flood. And then I was like, "Oh my gosh!" Boom, shame hits you. Yeah, I don't. I don't belong here. I don't fit yeah. in. There's something wrong with me. Yeah. So, you are not a star belly snitch. Right. Yeah. So I started uh, identifying as somebody that you know didn't fit in, didn't belong, um, was less than. Mm-hmm. Um, so as as a defense mechanism, I I became you know the class clown. I was you know sarcastic and rude and funny at the same time, and mm-hmm. I was mean to a lot of kids. Yeah, um, just with the things I would say, uh, and it made me feel you know better about myself. What's next? So between the ages of seventeen and twenty or twenty one. Uh, I had a, a the dis, not the district attorney, the, the public defender that would often represent me uh, in court tell me one day I wasn't a very good criminal or a very good drug addict because I was getting whoa, arrested. Whoa, whoa, I was getting arrested. How many times had you been in court? I, I had been arrested um, at least five or six times between well, 17 and 21 years old. Okay. For really stupid stuff, drug know, possession stuff, drug possession, stuff like that. yeah, okay. basically drug possession. There was a shoplifting, yeah. but any alcohol in there? I drank when it was around, but it wasn't okay. something. I but that pursued. wasn't your thing. It wasn't my thing. It was thing. the drugs and 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 the sex. That yeah. was really the. That was, okay. So twenty-one years old is where it takes a little bit of a harder turn. Um, my little brother died when I was twenty or twenty-one. How'd that happen? I mean, he's your little he dr- brother, so... He drowned. Oh, wow. Accidental drowning. I think he and his buddies were using or drinking and... Don't know for sure exactly yeah. what happened. Yeah. Brutal, man. Yeah. So, that experience hits you, and how did you take that? So, <clears throat> uh, when my brother died, um, I took it really hard. And, of course, I didn't realize this at the time, but... Did you pause it? No, you're good. Oh, sorry. Um, 
I, I took a harder than I needed to as a reason to continue the lifestyle I was living and to go What do you mean you took it that. harder than you needed to? I like took, it's my fault? Like I should have been there I for took, him? I took blame for it. Um, my little brother, he wanted to be just like me. He always wanted to go skating with me and my friends. I never let him come with us. Um, and I, I think that he wouldn't have been in the situation he was in if he hadn't been following my example, trying to be cool like Big Brother, hanging mm-hmm. out with the kids he was hanging out with. Yeah. Um, a situation he likely wouldn't have been in had he not been, you know, trying to follow in my footsteps and my, my older brother's footsteps. Yeah. So do you think the adversary helped you with that one? Oh, that definitely. you're like, oh, this is my fault. This, and he's like, yeah, it is your fault, Dave. Exactly. You did this. And, and I, you know, I recognize that I do have some responsibility because I was an example. I was his brother. Um, but I also acknowledge that, you know, everybody makes their own choices. Yeah. You know, I don't hang on to that anymore. Um, if I could go back and change things, I would. Um, but it, it's not fuel anymore for addiction for me. Um, but at that time... Well, it sounds like you're, I mean, as you're getting tearful right now, it sounds like you're able to separate... I mean, because that's just sad, right? I mean, that's just a sad and a difficult thing. And that, I think, will always be true. But it sounds like what you've separated is the shame from that, the yeah. blame the adversary's trying to give you. It seems like that's the part you've been able to remove. Not that you've emotionally checked out of the situation. Right. Yeah, there, there's truth in the fact that, you know, I was an example. There's truth to that. But I don't have shame and guilt over it anymore. Yeah. You know, the atonement takes care of everything there's nothing the the atonement of christ doesn't solve yeah so i've, I've let that go um so there's dave we got dave at 2021 all the sex stuff drug stuff your brother dies and so what what where does that put you so at that point in time at that point in time you are taking the shame and right the guilt and that it is your fault and right the weight of that is all on you so, and at that point in time, I had made some other connections, some other friends um, that were IV drug users. They were shooting up meth. And so that was the next thing for me. Um, I started shooting up meth. Um, for those that don't know, um, amphetamines are an aphrodisiac. Um, when you take meth, especially when you inject it, there's a very powerful uh, sexual high, I guess you could say. Um, So my my sexual addiction and my drug addiction became even more intertwined and a lot more uh, prevalent. Like that was my purpose in life was to... uh, Get the next fix. Get the next fix. Yeah. And, and it wasn't, I I couldn't just do drugs without acting out. Yeah. It was, you know, if I was going to Acting get, out sexually. Acting out sexually. Yes. Um, if I was doing one, I was doing both. Yeah. Um, uh, so that led to, you know, a variety of relationships. Um, a lot of porn in the background still going on? Or mostly just, you know... 
relationships um, with different women relationships with different women um a little later on probably no more than a year or so um the shame that came along with the the drug the using of drugs and sexually acting out the shame that came with that got me kind of to a point where i couldn't even i wasn't acting out with other women it was i i couldn't have relationships so porn became a lot more so tell me what changed with the relationship piece so why is it that you would quit acting out with other women what um because they weren't they weren't all into what i wanted to do mm-hmm. um and i think i just had so much shame that i didn't feel uh worthy to have a relationship mm-hmm. even as sick as the relationship was and as destructive as it was i, I wasn't worthy of it of even that <laughs> of even that i'm not even worthy of just <laughs> we're both drug addicts we both just want to use each other if you will right and yeah. process you're I not was, even worthy of that relationship was, you're so worthless just, I was ashamed of of what my addiction had kind of become you know that yeah I mean, like huge girlfriends I wouldn't even really want to you know be physical with them unless I was high and yeah. they didn't like that um, so a lot more porn a lot more isolation yeah. It was at a point where I was just Still using, using by myself. Huh? Still using. Using drugs. drugs. A lot yep. of, you know, a lot of drugs. Mostly just meth at this point. Um, and, and I met a girl who was just like me. <laughs> so we, we spent a lot of time together using drugs, acting out, um, and that kind of lifestyle, I really couldn't support myself. So I was living at home, but I'd be gone for weeks at a time, staying at different friends' houses, you know, wherever. Sometimes just the scene was, yeah. camping out for a week somewhere in the mountains, whatever. Um, uh, and my my, I guess my self-esteem, my confidence in myself was so low that. Uh, I was always just a hundred percent sure that this girlfriend was cheating on me. Yeah. And because I had this going on in my head, whether it was true or not, yeah, I think it was you know fifty fifty maybe. Um, <laughs> I I didn't even I did I couldn't hold down a job. Like I would yeah. leave a job to go try to catch my girlfriend cheating on me. I was yeah. just so paranoid and so obsessed with this thing. Yeah. Um, so not working, um, using as often as possible, still acting out, um, in a relationship with a girl that I don't trust, but have this thought in my head that I can't live without her. Um, that's not toxic. No, not at all. Shame based. Uh, yeah. which led to a point where, um, we needed money. Um, my best idea at the time was to rob a grocery store, which I did. Um, they didn't catch me right away. Uh, so, okay. So is this like like ski masks? Yeah, I ni- got a gun. nylon over my head. I didn't have a gun. Throw all the money in the bag. This was a grocery store that I had worked at before. Oh, uh-huh. On the graveyard shift. Inside job. You cased the joint. I knew that I could get the, the cash register just pulled right out of the counter. It's just connected with a cable. So I just oh. grabbed the drawer, took off. Um, somebody recognized me. So one of the kids that worked there 
They're like, hey, Dave, what's up? Oh, well, he's running off with the cash register. I went to high school with him, and, and he just, my girlfriend was with me, and her job was to go in and ask, hey, can you show me where to find something? You know, and his, the idea was he would take her, you know, to the back of the store. I'd be in and in out. In the movies, this works so right. well. I she, don't know she how didn't it do her, She didn't do her job right. So he was standing right there when I came in. And I was like, I'm already in here. Screw it. I'm doing it. Um, but he knew that she was my girlfriend. And, yeah. you know, he recognized, you know, I'm tall and lanky. And he knew who I was. Um, it's like, Dave, there's only 150 people that live in this town. Right. I know who you are. So... To complicate things a little bit more, at the time I was in drug court, which I don't know if you know what drug court is. Nope. So basically people that are repeat offenders, um, they, they get into drug court. Drug court does a urine test like four times a week. You go to this group counseling. It's a year-long deal. Um, so I had found quite a few holes in the system, and I, I, I wasn't taking my drug test, but they didn't know because... They, they said I could take my drug test in a different county because I lived so far away from where drug court was. And I just told Davis County that they would let them know if I had a dirty drug test. And otherwise, they wouldn't hear anything from them. So I created a way for me to just keep using. Um, so so you're, you were only a, a marginal criminal. You weren't a terrible criminal. Right. You got part of it right. So the day that I graduated drug court... About two hours later, a detective came to my house and arrested me for the burglary. For, for the grocery store. For the grocery store. store. Yeah. Um, and arrested my girlfriend. And at that point, um, I had... Uh, I wanted things to be different. Um, I was in jail for about a week. They released me. Was this the first, like, damn, my life screwed up no. moment for you? No, not at all. So this is no, moment. A, a couple of years before that, I got arrested for an aggravated assault. Um, cops kicked in my door. Uh, and I was with another girl at that time. We both went to jail. We both got bailed out of jail. And when she was giving me a ride home... You know, she says, hey, let's go, you know, let's go score something and have some fun. And I'm just like, what are you, are you nuts? We just got out of jail. Look at what just happened to us. Yeah. No, I'm done, you know. And I actually, we broke up right then. I was like, and I went back home to my parents' house. Yeah. And I made a, a marginal attempt to try to get my act together. Okay. Um, at this point, this, the thought that I wanted something to be different you're how old at this point? Uh, 22 or 23? 23. Okay. Okay. So pretty young. Um, actually, the day that uh, I got out of jail was 9-11. Oh, wow. Um, and I was so disconnected. Like, that didn't mean anything to me. Yeah. Like, it, I didn't care. Whatever. Yeah. yeah. Like, oh, that, that, that's terrible. That's too bad. You know. Anyways. Yeah. Um, yeah. Numbed out. Right, and so me and my girlfriend at that time had the, the judge ordered us not to be around each other. Um, Good call. And I was to report back to court for sentencing uh, in November. <clears throat> so for two months, we we just kept doing what we'd been doing. We didn't we didn't spend any time apart. The same old. 
Same old cycle. Same old cycle. Um, when I went to court, uh, they basically sentenced me to a 60-day evaluation at the prison, where they call it the diagnostic, uh-huh. um, where you go through counseling. You know, there's some group therapy sessions, psych evaluations. Sure. So they can make a recommendation to the judge what to do with you. Was it was any of this positive stuff up to this point? Like positive friends, church influence, family members. Like, was any of this adding up in the background, or were you no. like, I was so far off in left field, nothing I was, was getting to me. I was I was gone. In fact, any time uh, I'd be gone for, you know, a few days or a week, or at one point I. I took off for six months. My parents didn't know where I was. I was on the run in California. But I'd, I'd come home every once in a while and find a letter on my bed that my mom had written to me. She, she wrote me a dozen letters over the years, just kind of burying her soul and expressing her love and, um, you know, testifying of the power of Christ. Um, I mean, was that helpful to you? Did that end up being powerful? No, it... it, it was more upsetting to me than anything like uh, I just how come probably because deep down I knew she was right mm-hmm. um, I just didn't want to hear it so if you're a parent listening right now that probably was a good idea then uh yeah yeah <laughs> I mean you you at the time weren't ready to receive it right so you were like f this but because a lot of times it's the parents think they need to fix that that kid you know, judge it, grab right. them. Hey, what, you know, lock down at the house. You can't see in front. You know, I'm going to tell you how to fix your life. <laughs> and they really do that out of love, right? Right. Whether it's with porn or drugs or whatever's going on. But but your mom took a different approach. She took a different approach. They always just... took you back when you came home? Yes. They were never like, dude, you are a drug addict. Get the hell out. Like. And that's the other thing that uh, I think in the end helped save me was that I knew that I could always go back home. I always had a place there. Um, I mean, but this is big. There's a big parenting lesson here. <laughs> no, yeah. because, I mean, you were at a point, and it's, I mean, and I'm not telling anything you don't know, like, who wouldn't write you off at that point, right? I mean, if your parents were to sit with people at church, your neighbors, their friends, other family, and be like, yeah, Dave is freaking just a drug addict out on the edge I think he's in prison maybe maybe not I don't know no one would judge them for placing that judgment on you yeah. right but I mean there's your mom writing those letters saying hey hopefully he comes home and reads that yeah. right my parents were a for you. great example of unconditional love so if you're a parent and you're listening there Un- you go unconditional love there you go. Because if they would have come and told you how wrong your life was or let me step in and fix it for you, I mean, that would have gone nowhere with you, right? right. You would have just probably quit coming home, right? Yeah, good chance of that. Yeah. You know, and I, I can't yeah. say that their unconditional love is what fixed it, but... But it was a positive. When, when things started coming together, I recognized that. You know, I recognized that they had that love for me, and that was huge. I, I think that's big. When it was I, when I got to a point where I was really ready to to get it together, you know, that's where I went. I went home. Yeah, um, and I can relate to that. When I first came out with everything in my addiction, um, you know, my my parents have had some significant struggles themselves in their own marriage, and um, and so when I decided to come forward with everything, I've had people ask me like, well, "Were you worried your parents were gonna? Hey, Dad, I've been stealing all this money from you." 
to facilitate prostitution. I mean, were you worried they were going to wring your neck? And I'm like, no. I mean, we. I, I knew that they had struggled, and I knew that they wouldn't judge me. And for me, I, I don't know that I would have come forward had I had condemning. I mean, you never know, right? God right. was working me, whatever. But I mean, so I can relate to you that that kind of more unconditional, of open-hearted thing also was a was a big piece for helping me. Yeah, and I think. Um it, it almost seems like the parents who have been through struggles have more of that love. Um, my mom, so I come from a long line of addiction. My dad, my dad's parents were both dead by the time he was 12 years old from, oh. from alcoholism. Um, my mom lost a sister to alcoholism. Um, all of her brothers are addicts. Uh, she grew up with that. Her dad was an addict. So as Dave continued over the next couple of years, he continued to struggle with his addiction, having ups and downs, um, different people in his life, different struggles with the law. And um, so we're going to fast forward in Dave's story a little bit, and we're going to jump back in when he talks about his second time um, going back to the rehab program and why this rock bottom experience kind of was the one that worked. So we'll pick up his story there. And I went back to the, the rehab center. And I asked them if they'd let me back in the program. Um, they, they said I could come in. I called my probation officer and I told him where I was and what was going on. And I, like, I, at this point, I was, I was seriously done. And I knew I was done. And I, I remember telling him, come and get me if you want to. I don't care. You know, if you want to, if you want to have, have him put me back in jail, that's fine. But I'm Was this the, the first time you'd really surrendered? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think... You because know, I know we're, like, scanning over the top, but this is not the only, quotation marks, rock bottom moment you've had. This is, like, rock bottom moment number, what, 30, 25? Or, probably. Right, so so I'm just... Because I just, you know, because I'll ask you, like, what was what was different this time? What was... Because, well, like, you, like, you've been here... You know, I said the same thing to Chris. Chris was like, why this rock bottom? I'm like, bullshit, dude. You had 20 <laughs> rock bottom moments. So why this one? Because that's, so, you know, there's a lot of guys listening that... Or like, hey, I hit rock bottom. I thought that was it for me, and then it wasn't. And that's so hopeless. That's so discouraging. And so what so do you think it was? My previous rock bottoms, you know, obviously I knew that I had hit bottom, right? Because it was kind of a wake-up call, kind of like this isn't working. But the blame always was somewhere else. I didn't take yeah. the responsibility on myself. Yeah. The thing that was different this time is basically – the knowledge that I gained from being in rehab the first time. Yeah. You know, I mean, I was clean. I was clean for 18 months. Well, you know, you can't, you can't avoid having some healing during <laughs> a period like that when you're surrounded by, <laughs> surrounded that'll, be by the, that'll be the quote. You can't avoid having some healing if you're sober. Right. I mean, there's truth there. Yeah. So I, I had, I, like that. I had learned some things. Um, and I, you know, one of the big things I learned was that, you know, it's nobody's fault but my own. Um, taking the taking the blame for my own crap was uh, was huge. But that's kind of like, I mean, that's you taking the shame head on, right? Yeah. Because that's why we the shame we we can't deal with that. Because if I were to say, if I were to really hold all of the stuff that's actually my fault, I would. I'd die, right? Suicide's a better option. Because yeah. I'm such a bad person. That if I really was accountable for all of, the, all of my stuff, 
it's too big. Yeah. So that's what keeps us in fear. Right. Hiding, that's right? what keeps us blaming that's other people and circumstances. Yeah. yeah. So this this time in rehab, I had a couple of pretty significant things. Um, I had a counselor, and when when I got back to rehab, so I knew I knew the counselor um, from the first time I was there. Right. And he was a really great dude. His name was Kelly, um, and the day that they let me back in, I told him, I said, I want you to understand something. If you let me back in this program, I'm only a little bit here because of drugs. So I said, I'm a sex addict. I said, so I would. you knew at that point in time. I knew at that point in time. I knew yeah. that I, I would you're how old at this point in time? I mean, roughly. 24, 25. Okay. All right. So you're right um, in there. I, it was very clear to me that I wouldn't have gone back to drugs if I wasn't a sex addict, you know? Yeah. I went, I went back to this relationship because I was a sex addict. Yeah. And yeah. that put me in a circumstance where there were drugs around. And I think this is a true theme for a lot of drug and alcohol guys. Right. Oh, definitely. I mean, I, I don't know if I know a drug addict that's in being honest with themselves can't say that they've got some sexual dysfunction at least um, you know most people don't talk about it um, I'm really grateful that I realized that at that point yeah. um, because I probably wouldn't I would never have recovered um, wow, it's big so I told that's him big. I told him I'm a sex addict and I'm here because of that you know and and he and he understood addiction well enough to know that regardless of the addiction the treatment's the same you know spiritual healing yep. um, so he gave me a book called codependent no more and anybody that wants some healing and is is not afraid to face some serious pain that's a great book unashamed and unafraid pick up that book okay tell me the title of the book again and codependent no more Codependent No More. Do you remember Author, I don't know. Okay. Codependent No More. Um, I'll put it on the you know, Codependent the No More. I'll, I'll find it and we'll, we'll put a link to I it. I literally threw this book across the room a half a dozen times because I was so ticked off at the reality that it was showing me about myself. So it's just you're reading it and you're like, how does this guy know me? Yeah. So, you know, it, it's a lot about, you know, Taking, taking responsibility, you know, it's nobody else's fault. I mean, I had already started to grasp a little bit of that, but this book uh, really showed me that I was making a lot of my decisions. A lot of my decisions, well, I did this because you did that. Yeah. That was, that was my mentality. You know, doesn't sound every, codependent at all. Every choice I made was because somebody else yeah. had done something. Yeah. Um, and when well, I saw that... Well, and you've that, got a big wound hiding back here, right? Yeah. Because why is it that you're probably so afraid to pick up blame or shame or whatever because that will prove that I'm imperfect well and it goes right back to the situation with your brother right yeah it does that 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 what the what you got out of that of your brother's death was dude this is all your fault and so anything that felt like it might be your fault my guess was would hit on on that wound for you yeah I think that's probably I mean all connected right Yeah. yeah yeah So, so you're the, reading codependent no more. Reading codependent no throwing more. Throwing it across the room. Yeah, and there leaning was, into the pain, as the therapists say. So, that's that's the other thing. There was a guy 
this older guy, he was in the program, and uh, he would always talk about uh, leaning into the pain. Um, and I just kind of developed this vision in my mind of the pain being like wind, right? The only way to not get blown over in the wind is to lean into it. So when, great when, when I would start having, you know, fear and doubt and pain, you know, I'm in this treatment program and my wounds are being opened up and I feel that pain, I would just imagine myself leaning into the wind and just like letting it hit me. And uh, with that visual, I realized that if you lean into the wind, it's not going to blow you over and it's going to pass by. You know, it's going to, in a minute, it's going to be behind me. Wow. So I really, I really grabbed a hold of that. And like every day was leaning into the wind and letting it pass by me. Um, and, and did you get a lot of wind in your life? You got a lot of big <laughs> gusts of, I mean, that's one, one thing that, you know, like touched me about your story is I'm like, you know, cause sometimes I, I've been able to kind of justify people's recovery that I'm like, well, cool. You look at porn sometimes. Like I've done way significantly worse things than you, so I can kind of dismiss that person, you know, because mm. I'm like, you're not down here where I'm at. You haven't screwed up as much as I've screwed up, stealing money from family members and doing right. stuff, you know. And so, I mean, you got a lot of wind, Dave. You've got a lot of, you know, well, a lot of uh, of uh, stuff that you could have shame about. I mean, long laundry list. How everyone wants to put it. And so if, if anyone had an excuse to not lean into the wind, I mean, you've probably got more than anybody, right? Well, it, not more than anybody. Well, but you I know what I mean. You got a amount. lot. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, you know, the, the, the saying that 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 doesn't kill you makes you stronger. I think that's, that's kind of relative to, you know, recovery and the amount of pain that people experience. You know, yeah, somebody, you know, you you got a 20-year-old kid that, you know, he's looked at porn a half a dozen times. That wind might be really strong for him because of whatever's taken place in his life totally. prior to that. Oh, totally. It's it's real. Um, oh, totally. <clears throat> but so at this point, I'm clean. I'm off drugs. Still, still acting out a little bit. Porn's not really, if I remember, I don't remember there being any around. Um, sure. Still the occasional acting out and still a lot of shame yeah. with that. Yeah. Um, but at that point, I recognize, you know, that it, it's, it's a coping mechanism that um, I, need to, I need to get rid of. Yep. Um, so, you know, I'm going weeks at a time without, um, and, when, and when it happens, it's, you know, it's like once, and then a couple weeks go by. So I'm not justifying it, but at that point I'm I'm seeing progress. Um, you're 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 starting to build hope. Yeah. You're starting to be like, you know what? I might some confidence. Like I might be able to do this. I might be able to actually yeah. change my life. Yes. So the six month treatment program, they let me out uh, two months early. Oh. They 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 told me. You don't need to be here anymore. I mean, I, I was really, I had made up my mind. I had surrendered. I had made a decision that I was doing something different, you know. And they said, okay, we're going to let you, we're going to give you a graduation early. Um, 
and I moved back in with my parents at this point. Um, still struggling a little bit with masturbation. Um, at that, at this point, it's <clears throat> I. There was kind of a pattern where, when when big decisions had to be made, or you know things were changing. Uh, it's something I would do in the morning before I could even get out of bed. I was kind of just paralyzed with fear. Masturbating, you mean? Yep. Yeah. Laying in bed, for, yep. just just afraid of what's going to happen today. How totally. am I, you know, kind of the reality hitting me that I'm a grown-up. <laughs> I'm an adult now. Um, I've made this decision to change my life and pursue school and a meaningful relationship, you know, recovery. Yeah. You know, all these things. It's like... I didn't know how to do it. You know, I didn't know what steps to take. I didn't know how to overcome, you know, the fears associated with that. So still there was, you know, masturbation. It was seriously just to to kick the fear, to get out of bed and start my day. Um, so I had also at this point started going back to church, started okay. meeting with the bishop, going through the repentance process. Um, had a really great bishop uh, that just really, in, in some ways, kind of naive and ignorant to the reality of my situation, mm-hmm. um, but just very encouraging and supportive. Um, so it was uh, a few months after being back home that I was taking the sacrament, um, got to a point where uh, I was ready to progress in the priesthood, but I was still on probation, so the stake president, you know. So you, you never had the Melchizedek priesthood up to this point? Never had the Melchizedek okay. priesthood. Keep going. Um, the stake president at the time, when he was, you know, he was ready. Everything was great. And then he asked me, you know, about my legal situation. I said, oh, I'm still on probation. He's like, well, you know, I'm sorry. Crap, dude. Yeah. yeah, and I, you know, I was fine with that. I understood. Were you didn't take the wind out of your cells? No, the, I mean, the first thing I did was I called my probation officer and I said, "Hey, I want to meet with you. I want to, I want to, you know, what do I need to do to be done?" Man, that's such a difference, right? Than from the running and hiding. <laughs> yeah, to willing to lean into the wind to be so accountable. I went in and met with my probation. I mean, that officer. that would be such. I just I think about me and I'm like, that would be such a situation to be like, wow. Here I am trying to do the right thing, be a good person, and then here's my past coming to get me again. I'm never going to run away from my yeah. past. I mean, I could turn that into, as an addict, I could turn that into a hopeless situation, excuse to act out, give me like 30 seconds. <laughs> right. Right? So, I mean, you're... You see, the thought didn't I, even cross my mind. I didn't, like, there was no... But, I mean, because no, you were changing. Change had happened. Change yeah, had been happening. I, I had you were growing. a mighty change of heart. <laughs> Boom. Um, it's crazy. I mean, crazy awesome, right? Yeah. Sorry, keep going. So I met with my probation officer, and, and he said, well, look, you know, you're, you're doing great. Let's terminate your probation. So, um, you know, I, I got the Melchizedek priesthood. Still living at home with my parents. I had started a job doing construction, building uh, log homes, which was a really cool job because we'd have the logs delivered in, in the fall and would snowmobile in and out of the job sites uh, throughout the winter, you know, building these cabins. Uh, my boss was a pot smoker, which I didn't struggle with at all, which was really kind of a blessing. Um, and after about a year, 
I decided that I was ready to make take another step and start school. So I started, uh, I went to ITT Tech for uh, computer electronics. Uh, because I was, I lived an hour away from where I worked and an hour away from school, I decided to move down to Salt Lake where I went, started going to the singles ward and I met my wife. Okay. So at this point, I'd been off drugs about a year and a half. Still struggling a little bit with masturbation. I was going, you know, months at a time. Um, met my wife, and after probably three or four dates, when I knew that, you know, I really liked this girl and I thought we had something, I, she knew I was a drug addict. You can be pretty open about that without being judged. She mm -hmm. didn't, you know, I didn't talk about my sex addiction. Um, so I told her that I was a sex addict. Um, she was. She was prior to getting married. Prior to getting married, she was pretty upset. Um, yeah. Because you know, obviously, she had feelings for me, and at this point, wasn't sure if she could. Did she like even know what that was, or did she not really have a place to put that? She kind of didn't really. I mean, sort of in between. Yeah. Um, and and I I explained. You know, to her, my my thoughts on it was that addiction's addiction. You know, whether it's drugs, sex, food, alcohol, Whatever. video right. games, it's all it all comes from the same place. Right. And she 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 got that, so I think it removed some of. I I just imagine in her mind, sex addict equals pervert. You know, equals. Uh, sure. Child molester equals yeah. rapist. Yeah. All you the know. bad things. Yeah. Um, all the bad things. I think I think that helped clarify in her mind that you know I'm just a guy that you know has some. And what, some what was kind of what was kind of her life history? Because see, for my wife, it was no big traumas in her family. Everything was very as it should be. Whatever, and so when I showed up with all this stuff, and I'm like, oh yeah, there's all this sexual abuse in my family. All this, like, I brought all the ugly. She did not have any ugly, you know, as it, as it seemed. And so it was like, whoa, thanks for like, yeah, opening my eyes. To, you know, I mean, that was like we there was some, you know, like boom, there you go. There's some real world for you. Like, right. and so I mean, had your wife with her family growing up experienced some some stuff that this was kind of par for the course, or was I think, this totally new to her? Uh, pretty new. Yeah. She, uh, her brother and his wife got pregnant before they were married. So that was about the extent of... That was like, the best she could do. The, the, the <laughs> negative things. I mean, yeah. she had some of her own... With, with the drama or She whatever. had her own stuff growing up, her own insecurities with friends. Sure. And, you know, she, she had a lot of stuff, and she was aware of that. Um, okay. But, uh... So she goes into being married, eyes open. Eyes open. And even before we were married, um, was it before we were married? Before we were married, she started going to the LDS addiction recovery groups with me. Okay. We'd go up to the uh, the university on Sunday nights. There was a men's group and then there was a women's group. And she started yeah. going to that. And um, I think that removed a lot of fear. Um, are, are you happy that you started that process and told her that stuff before you got married? Oh, definitely. And the reason is... So anyone out there who's listening, do it Dave's way. Don't do it my way. <laughs> so my wife had no idea. This was two and a half years into marriage. I'm like, by the way, boom! Um, Dave did it right. I did it wrong. 
Just I, if you're out there and you're at that junction and you're saying, hey, I'm engaged to this girl or dating someone, should I? I did it right at that junction. At that junction. Did, uh, there did, there did were a right. few mistakes down the road, but at that junction. We'll, we'll get there. So when you got married, because um, this is a common one that comes up for people, did you think that getting married and finally having a kind of a quote-unquote healthy relationship would solve your sex addiction? No. I, I knew that it wouldn't. Yeah. You'd had enough experience in life, so whatever, you're like, hey, just have it. Because for a lot of guys who, and particularly more that are, like, have less sexual acting out with other women before getting married, they think, oh, if I get married, this fixes it. Yeah, it but doesn't you were fix not, it. And you weren't under that impression when you got married. No. Okay, so you get married. Got married. So, actually, um, prior to getting married, uh, I got sober. I stopped acting out. Okay, sexually, um, mean sexually, because you'd already been sober from drugs for right. a year and a half, rolling. Right. So okay. there, there was still a little bit of masturbation, um, after, even after I told her that I was a sex addict, I had a few slips, uh, but I was sober. I don't remember if it was six months or nine months before we actually got married, mm-hmm. um, and then, you know, things were things were pretty good, but being married to an addict. You know, and her having her own stuff, her own healing that hadn't, no hadn't started taking place yet. Sure. You know, there was a lot of fear. You know, she was suspicious of me sometimes. Um, and about two and a half years into our marriage, I had some problems. I had, I had some slips. Um, with sexual stuff? With both. Sexual so, stuff and drugs. Yeah, my okay. wife has a medical condition that she takes amphetamines. Okay. Um, yeah. And she had some in the house, and I knew where they were, and I, I couldn't tell you how I justified it, but I started taking them, um, not on a like super regular basis, but there was, at one point I kind of binged, and I took quite a few of them, and uh, that night looked at pornography. Um, and I told her that night about the pornography and the pills and it, it crushed her. She was, she was pretty devastated and, and I was too, you know, because she'd always been suspicious, right? That's the worry. Yeah. Like, can I ever really trust them? Can I ever really? So this is the nightmare she's hoping doesn't happen happens. Right. And to, to make things more complicated, I was the elders corn president. And, sprinkle some extra shame on there. And our, our bishop was brand, he's a brand new bishop. He was 20-something years old. Oh, geez, yeah. And, uh, Bless that guy's heart, but yeah. Right, and, yeah. and I, I don't hold anything against him now, but when I, when I told him and we had a, a, a bishop's council, um, you know, they say that those are supposed to be a council of love, and I walked away feeling like it was a council of shame. Uh, it was you know, bad. They, they read to me every scripture about why what I did was wrong. Having already knowing that what I did was wrong. You're like, I know, I'm aware. Right. Well, and um, you came forward with it too. I mean, let's let's enter that part. Is that you weren't in hiding? It wasn't like your wife caught you, and you're like, screw this, screw right. God, screw the church. Or, yeah. And I wasn't I wasn't excommunicated. I was put on formal probation. Okay. Um, yep. You know, I was released from my calling. Sure. And it's funny when I talked to Todd about this. He was kind of ticked. Todd is a therapist at LifeStore, by the way. In his mind, in his mind, what I had done wasn't like 
super bad, right? Yeah. And and I was, I was just, I was okay with it. You know, it, it was what needed to happen. So you'd been going to therapy then? Yep, me just, and my wife. Okay, so let me back yeah. up just a little bit. Um, within the first year of our marriage, we decided to go to Lifestar. Okay. So, and I, I was sober. I hadn't been acting out. You know, still, you know, lust is a problem. Um, but we, we decided to go to Lifestar. You wanted that support? You wanted to add that in? Yeah, I wanted okay. I wanted her to, to feel safe. And I wanted her to feel comfortable. Sure. And I wanted, you know, both of us to get the healing we needed in our lives. Well, and that just goes back to your to your change of, that you weren't, you weren't living by shame and you weren't living by fear, right? Right. And that's the mantra of our blog, right? Unashamed and unafraid. You were both unashamed and unafraid. So, I mean, because you could have been like, dude, I masturbate once every four months. This isn't a big deal. It's out of my life. I'm fine. I don't need to freaking go to therapy. And if you go to therapy, but no, I mean, you were grabbing the bull by the horns. And you're like, no, man, if we got problems, let's fix them. Well, like, and I lean, You were leaning into the wind still. Still leaning into the wind because right? I still recognized that I wasn't out of the woods yet. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And, and still, after all these years, yeah. I still go to meetings. Yep. You know? Yep. Um, so, so fast forward. So, uh, Church discipline happens, your formal probation, and she's obviously, you know, having that that big of a slip and yeah. relapsing into the drugs and the porn just totally probably took her out, right? It did, and we started going to counseling again, um, and... Was she like, I don't want to be married to you, like I'm no, with this? No, no, she... Was she just I mean, she's, she's, she's such a good girl. Like, she's great. She... She has a very clear understanding of the spiritual and emotional conditions that go on within us that fuel addiction. You know, she re- she recognized that I, you know, still had healing to do. And having met her and having heard her share her story with you, I'll I'll back you up on that. Yeah, she's she's amazing. Um, yeah, I couldn't ask for anything else. Yeah. So at that point, you know, I'm kind of buckling down we're we're doing more therapy you know i'm going to more meetings um you know doing more journaling doing more reading just doing recovery work um and you know a few years go by and i'm clean i'm sober everything's good um and then i had a situation where i got sick like i had like a flu and when you know most of the flu symptoms went away my stomach just hurt and it just it didn't stop mm-hmm. so i was going to doctors you know get my stomach scoped ultrasounds to try to figure out what's wrong and throughout this a doctor prescribes to me uh non- non-narcotic uh pain medicine called tramadol which i don't know how they call it non-narcotic it's still derived from an opiate um Dude, love those medical doctors, man. Love the pill pushing. So I started taking this stuff, and and initially I didn't really didn't really feel like a high or anything from it, um, and it helped a little bit. After being on it for a little while, I started to depend on it. I guess, um, you know, eventually discovered that you know this this pain, this sickness was more diet related um so made some changes there and you know you know since then you know felt good but you know i've I've been introduced to this drug now and 
Um, I, I can't. Well, that's a tough one because it's like the doctor says I should take it. Right. I mean, you have, you have justification. So the doctor says I should for take you, it for and using, I have right? justification, which led to more justification. Well, I'm taking this medication and it's helping me. You know, yeah. what other medication can I get? Well, I have ADD, right? And, and it's a real thing and I have it. So I'm going to see if I can get some medication for that too. So I get prescribed Adderall, which is an amphetamine, which is my drug of choice. So not too far into it, I start abusing the Adderall and the Tramadol. Um, my wife, she's in charge of the medication, right? And I started asking her the night before for my medication um, so I didn't have to wake her up in the morning because I get up and go to work early. So she's yeah. giving me my medication at night and I'm just taking it. Yeah. You know, both doses, of both at the same time. Um, and because of the way my addiction, my drug addiction and my sex addiction kind of intertwined, I started acting out. Sexually. Sexually. Yeah. was masturbating, uh, looking at pornography. Um, obviously keeping it a secret for, I, I don't recall how long it went on. It was a few months, I think. Okay. And, and then it just, the weight of it. It was more than you had enough bear. recovery at that point. That right, you I knew, mean, you knew every every you were doing every wrong. time I did wrong, I knew I was doing wrong. Yeah, and, sure. You know that started creating more shame, and I started getting back in like deeper into the cycle. Yeah, and you're like, and no, no, I want the healing, <clears throat> not the cycle. Yeah, I knew I had to break the cycle. Yeah. So, um, I yeah. told I told her, yeah. and um, this is the part that you remember about my story. Mm-hmm. So after I had told her. Um, we had a few really rough days uh, where she she was losing sleep, she was up at night. And, you know, the first time in our marriage that I had, I had had some slips and she was super supportive and loving and, you know, I felt um, it, it kind of enabled me to minimize it a little bit. You know, because she's not super mad, you, what I did wasn't that bad. Yeah. Is kind of the thought yeah. process I you had. Didn't, you didn't uh, see her pain or you weren't able to hold right. her pain. You know, I mean. Not, see the damage of what you were she doing. She wasn't wrong for loving me and supporting me and being yeah. compassionate. Um, no, you just didn't fully understand the, the consequences of your actions. And how yeah, it I didn't recognize how bad it hurt her because she didn't show it. it. Yeah. Because she, she felt bad for me because I had to deal with this crap. You know, which is her compassion maybe being a little bit too much. You know, that she didn't allow herself to express her anger and her yeah, hurt. Her hurt. So I didn't I didn't really see that for what it was. And so the second time around I kinda had this idea that, you know, it it didn't hurt her that bad or something. Yeah. Um, She'll so, brush this off and get back to supporting me and all. So I this. I wasn't too worried about things. Um, yeah. So you know, she woke me up in the middle of the night one night. She um, was having a hard time sleeping, obsessing about all this stuff, and and she she let me have it. Like she she expressed her anger and her hurt, um, and basically told me that she shouldn't be the one losing sleep over this. It's not her problem. It's my problem. And she was pretty ticked that I could sleep like a baby, <laughs> um, and that that kind of shed some light on the reality of the situation. You know, it shed some light on how bad I had hurt her. It shed some light on... Wait, so how did that thing end? So did she just say, 
Alright, now that I've got that off my chest, you can go back to sleep. More or less. Yeah. Uh, but I didn't go back to sleep. You know, yeah. I was... It hit you. It hit me. Um, yeah. That I had, you know, caused some serious pain for this woman that I love. Yeah. Um, and that I was not taking what I had done seriously enough. Yeah. You know, and part of that, I think, was because the recovery that I had had up to that point... A lot of it involved, you know, not feeling shameful and guilty and um, not letting that stuff overtake me. And at this point, I, I didn't really realize it then, but now as I look back, you know, I think there's, there's a little bit of a balance. I should feel guilty for the things that I've done wrong to a point, you know? Yeah, I think it's just kind of a way to not lean into the wind. I think I've used that as justification all over the place to be like, well, that's all shame, so I'm just not going to go there at all. Right. But really, I'm not leaning, I'm avoiding the pain, right? So in a way, I'm kind of not, I'm choosing to not lean into the wind. And my excuse is, oh, well, that's shameful. So I'm not going to lean as much, right? Right. And, and to me, I should feel some shame for things I've done wrong. But I, sh- some I should. Some guilt. Some guilt. Some guilt, and I, I believe that it's it's natural to feel some shame. I, if I, I would agree. I, you know. Yeah. To be to do something that I know is wrong that causes hurt to other people, um, I think it's healthy for me to be ashamed of that when I recognize that I've done it. Yeah. And then at that point, you know, let. But don't let it define you. Don't let it define me, and yeah. don't let it linger. Yeah. Don't hang on to it. You know, let it serve its purpose. So I would describe that as guilt. Okay. Oh, it could even be described as acknowledging responsibility and yeah. feeling the feelings appropriate for whatever the wrong yeah. was. Willing to be accountable, yeah. Right. Yeah, I so, mean, I get Yeah, I, yeah. So um, I don't think I was holding myself accountable because, yeah. like you said, oh, that's shame and that's guilt and that's bad. Because it drives me, so I just won't go there. Drives me into isolation, so I'm not going to go there. Um, Which so, it doesn't have to drive you into isolation, right? It doesn't have to. Yep. So I, you know, I let, I let those feelings come. You know, the, in your own words, you leaned into the wind. I leaned into the wind, and I let the guilt and the pain come. And um, to, you know, in AA they say we will not regret the past, nor wish to shut the door on it. But there was there was regret, like huge regret. Yeah. And. And I let myself feel it, you know, yeah. so it would serve the purpose that I needed, you know, to help me realize, you know, the situation. Um, so at that point, uh, I was more repentant, I guess, and I was more humbled and definitely more uh, sorry then I, you know, before it was like, yeah, I'm sorry I did this. <laughs> more honest? More more honest. Definitely more About honest. About kind of emotionally how you felt? and Yeah, and, and less, I had less expectations of her to forgive me. And... Um, That's going back to your codependency book, right? Right. So I had to let her, I had to let her be mad and not try to fix it. That was the big thing, you know. Whenever I've done something to upset Old my space. wife... yeah. I want to fix it. I want to. I want to erase the mistake, mm-hmm. so that that she feels towards me the same way she did before. Well, 
you know, that's not something I have power to do or something that it's not my job. Well, and again, but, and, and trying to do that, which we all do as addicts, that's really about you, right? It's really that's about not, me. That's not you caring control. about her. Right. You're saying, I want to control this. So the stuff that I should feel shame about, I fixed. So then I can justify not feeling bad about it. Exactly. Well, and another part but, of that But it too, can come off as, oh, this is me just wanting you to heal and me wanting to help you. Right. My wife's going to listen to this and be like, Steve, you do that all the time. And I'm going to be like, yep. Yeah. yeah. So, and another another huge part about this that uh, I can't not talk about is the... Well, so you were sober from that point? Yeah. That, I mean, I mean maybe a couple things, but from there. And so that was how long ago? So you're uh, how sober now? I'm sober. For, give me a timeline. Um, time frame. I don't remember what year that was. Years. Years. Um, years. Um, Two years, five years. Uh, yeah, five, I think. I I'm, I'm saying it's got to be at least five because I heard... 2019. I heard this story in 2014, right. so... yeah. <laughs> and you were already in a good place then. Yeah. So plus five, probably. Um, I did I did run into some pills again. Uh-huh. Um, but didn't go back to the sex... Uh-huh. The pornography and things. But um, the pills was how long ago? Um, 2015, early 2015. Okay, so we're we're four years ish. Yeah, and I, I had ordered some pills online. There's websites uh-huh. you can do that. Yeah. And before they even arrived, I told my wife, and I had her get them and dispose of them. So I mean that, that I, I'm going to call that slip in the middle, right? Yeah, that, I mean I'm glad you're accountable and you're like, hey, I I made the choice to go seek that out, but you didn't actually use. No. Yeah. I mean, one, I'm just like highlight Dave's mindset right here. <laughs> if you want to recover, that's how you act, right? Because um, here I am, right, being like, no, Dave, as an addict, we can kind of say that wasn't a slip, right? So just there's a there's a parody here. I think it's worth pointing out. Yeah. But, um, but more or less, so you're at a place now where it's. Um, you know, so I see the question I asked Chris when I first met him, a lot of people, you're not looking over your shoulder every day. No. Because you describe, which I can totally relate to, that you're like, I woke up in the morning and I had to masturbate just to function, just to make this work. There's, there was a dependency there. Uh, I've often described it as the shadow that follows me around. Mm. And I'm like, I might get away from it for a minute, but it's coming, right? Like it's yeah. going to catch me. But that shadow's not following you around anymore. No. Marriage, Marriage, healing there, trust there. Yeah. And for all the women that are like, yeah, but would she say that? I've totally met her and she would totally say that, right? I think she would say that. Yeah. We have a a pretty good marriage. I mean, we we go through phases where... You got your problems. We we go through phases where we feel like we're roommates. Sure. You know? And, you know, we'll just, hey, hey, roomie, let's let's talk. (laughs) Let's connect. We, we still have to force a connection sometimes because yeah. well, life, life gets busy. And, yeah, right, you have to I'm, work on it. I'm in the bishopric now. Uh, we've got three kids. I've got a busy job. We've got you know things just happening in life, yeah. and, and we have to make time to connect. Um, so what, what were some of the biggest things that, as you did recover, I mean, one, you've highlighted one that I know is a huge one is, having to get to full disclosure and having to really be 100% honest. That's I've never met anyone who's sitting where you're sitting that that has not been true. Right. So that's the big one. But, I mean, what else maybe that we haven't talked about or how would you say, like, 
was big for you. Key for recovery. Recovery, yeah. So the book Codependent No More was it was a game changer. Link link on the put a link on the. There's another website. book called Putting on the Armor of God. Stephen Kramer is the author of that. Okay. Really really great book. Um, it the subtitle is How to Win Your Battles with Satan. So hashtag Read Wild at Heart. Come on the retreat. Wild at Heart uh, boot camp was huge. My first boot camp. Uh, Man, I never cried so much in my life. The first one, the second one, or the, the third one? The, I mean, cause the for me, first it's true one. For all, yeah. The first one, I never... Tell me the other book. Putting on the Armor of God. Putting on the Armor so of everyone, God. Everyone knows that it's there. Um, okay. Uh, Wild of Heart. Yep. Um, Codependent No More were the three three books that, that helped change things. Um... I've probably been to a thousand or more Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, Sexaholics Anonymous meetings. I still go to those, the friendships that I've made there. Basically, my friends, the people I spend my time with, are people that I know from recovery groups. Yeah. Whether it's Wild at Heart, Boot yeah. Camp, whether it's, you know, AA, SA, or, you know, guys in my ward at church that, you know, understand the realities of life the way we do well so what i would say because it's been a big one for me and again a theme i've seen men is you have real men who know the true you all the good and all the bad that you're really connected with right so whether whether that was an aa whether it was you have a bunch of brothers in your family member i mean for you it's been aa boot camp guys in recovery right and now right. guys in your church community right right yeah but um, that's because I, I see that again never met anyone sat here and they're like I have no close guy friends and no men know my real story I have never met the sober one and that's true so yeah you know I've got I've got a lot of friends and I've got maybe five that are as close to me as family right that who you can call at any time that, and they're there for you yes in, in a real way yeah and awesome. and anybody can have that you know I know, I know a lot of people, they're more introverted. A lot of people don't feel like they can connect and make friends as well. If you start hanging around the right places, it just happens. You know, recovery groups, boot camps. Uh, it, this is a big thing. I, so I, I've gone back to 12-step because I'm not humble, Dave, and I don't want to surrender my heart to God. <laughs> Chris and I talked about that on the previous post. Um, and so I think 12-step is really good for me right now. In general, I don't love the 12-steps. I'm going right now for those reasons, but like when people are like, I love 12 step, I'm like, I do not. But what I do love about 12 step is the community you can find there and the men you can find there. I tell everyone to go to 12 step because I'm like, it's free and there's something healing sitting with men who are willing to be honest about, well, hi, my something. name's Steve, I'm a sex addict, right? And if, to know there's other men who really say that out loud, like if you can't find that community anywhere, Please go to one of those meetings. We have links to them on the website. You can even do online ones where you just get on the phone. Yeah. You don't need, so you don't have to look anyone in the face if the shame's that big for you right now. And um, it's healing. It is like that's and it's free, so no right. one has an excuse. I mean, there it, whoever's listening to this, there is a twelve step meeting in the next twenty four hours where you are. Right. Right. Oh yeah, they're they're everywhere. Um, if you find yourself getting a little bit bored with maybe SA, go to an AA meeting. I mean, <laughs> it's a whole different group of people. I, I, I laugh because it's true. Yeah. Yep. So, and just along yeah. those lines, another really key thing in my recovery, 
somebody in SA, uh, I don't know, almost 10 years ago, started passing around a, a set of CDs uh, called Joe and Charlie. These two old-timer alcoholics <laughs> talking about the big book of AA. Um, I don't know if legally, like, I can give you the MP3 files. Uh, maybe we can look into that if you could post them. Like yeah. I've listened, yeah, we'll I've find, listened. We'll try, or we can try and find Joe and Charlie. Right? I have listened to this set of CDs probably 15 times, and they talk about, you know, basically how AA started is kind of the first part of it. But then they get into the steps and how the steps were intended to be worked, and the benefits that come from it. And it's pure gold. I mean, it is one of the most valuable things I've ever gotten my hands on. Because yeah, we'll, it's we'll insightful, it. it's, it's on, funny. I mean, if it's on Amazon somewhere, we, we'll get we'll try and get people connected to it. Okay. We'll find it. Yeah, it's um, priceless. Yeah, I like that. Well, and there's another one. I want to get these guys on here, but there's uh, the Next Step podcast is some 12-step guys. It's really okay. good. They're out of California. Um, and uh, you should listen to that if you ever heard I'll check guys. it out. You'd like I'm them. driving to Denver Sunday. So. There you go. I'll try and find it. But um, tell me, like, where did God show up in this? You always believed in God, but... Again, I've never met anyone who's recovered who didn't, who did. I mean, I, I'm just super Christian. He made several appearances. So I'm, so I'm, un, I'm unapologetic about it being Christian. Right. Right. But, um, so, I mean, when you went back the second time you went to the rehab program and you were like, I mean, that's to me, like something clicked that you got really de-shaming there and you believed you had value and you believed. Yeah. Right. So when, when. A lot of people could say there's no reason to believe that. This guy's a, a statistic, a, a drug right. addict, or whatever. When right? I first and so how, how did God change in this? Because I know you didn't do it without him. Right. So when I first went, when I first got put in jail for six months, uh, God showed up. Um, I was so full of resentment and anger that I literally couldn't sleep at night. Like I was, I was sleeping just a couple hours a day, um, just, just angry. And uh, I started reading the scriptures. Um, I don't remember what the scripture was that that made an impact, but I remember having the idea that all these people that I was angry at, you know, I started to see some of my own responsibility. Um, and that, I mean, that's that's classic, you know, step four stuff, you know, resentments. Um, you know, I started experiencing some of that just without doing any, like, real recovery work um, one of the, the big things for me though was when I started going back to church this is the second time I was in rehab um, every morning when I would leave to go to church I, I, I walked to church and I would pray and I would talk to God and I, I went to church with the purpose of hearing God's message for me like I, w- I wouldn't walk through the doors of a church without the idea in my head that somebody was going to be an instrument in God's hands that day and say something that God intended me specifically to hear. It's pretty it was, humble day. It was uh, pertinent to my life, what was going on at the time. Uh, and I did that um, every Sunday, you know. And, and even it, it went beyond that to recovery meetings and anytime I went to an AA meeting or an NA meeting somebody here is God's going to use somebody in this room to talk to me and I better listen 
That that's and uh I don't do that. Dave, I experience being miracles. Honest. Like that's that's humble to approach it that way. Because I know a lot of times I go to church and I'm like I'm smarter than everybody here. <laughs> I'm more spiritual. I don't. I've got a lot of pride issues. But, yeah, and I probably have um, a little more of that nowadays. But I mean, I the the rate at which I but that's a great way to progress was allow amazing. him in. Yeah, it's a great way to allow him in. Yeah, and that, that's and you talked about boot camp and. Um, so, I mean, the, the fear, I think, so this is one of the realities of addiction recovery that I feel like people don't talk about is initially that leaning into the wind, the steps you have to take initially in the first week, the first month, the first six months or first year of recovery tend to actually not go very well. Yeah, it's it's rough, it, you know. And so a lot of gets, times it's like it gets worse if you choose it gets if you choose recovery, your life will, will get better. And so guys, like okay, my marriage is pretty marginal, not very good. So then I told my wife everything, and now I don't live at home. So tell me how doing addiction recovery is making my life better. She says she wants to get divorced, and so in that short term, and and a lot of guys are in that. And for some guys, that's a couple of years. Um, it really seems like recovery is not worth it. It's messy, right? I mean, yeah, and, and you and you're so used to wanting to, like, if I do something good, I want something good to come back. I know I've had frustrations at times earlier on when I'm like, I'm doing the right thing, and Kayla's still mad, or it's still, or I still feel shame, and I'm like, but I'm doing the right thing, so I feel shame if I do the wrong thing. I feel shame if I do the right thing, because in the short term, the ship doesn't turn that fast, right? Right. And so, so for the guys who are stuck in somewhere in that spectrum right now, like, you have been to hell and back on multiple occasions like you got frequent flyer miles man <laughs> right with your life story right like has it been worth it oh yeah i i honestly i'd either be in prison or dead if i hadn't made the changes but like really going to the wall being a hundred percent like leaning because if you if you half-ass lean into the wind you will never get, You'll there. get blown over yeah you will just get blown over so like you leaned all the way into the wind for such a long time, like it really was worth it. It was worth it's it. It's really been worth it. Was, it. it was a lot of work though. And I've, I've been thinking about this a little bit recently. I struggle with a little bit sometimes how much to share with people at church. You know, I'm in the bishopric, so I, I bear my testimony without a doubt every three months on, on fast Sunday. You know, there's time sometimes. Don't ask where, me my opinion. You know what you're going to get. <laughs> there's times where I need, to, <laughs> I need to fill some time at the end of a meeting where the speaker's in. And yep. And most of my ward knows I'm a drug addict. Some of my ward knows that I'm a sex addict. Um, and I struggle sometimes with how much to share and what to share. And recently I've been thinking a lot about how much work it took to get to where I'm at. Because a lot of times it's been so long ago now that I was in, in that severe pain that I don't really think about how big it was. How big it was. Like yeah. it, uh, sometimes I don't even really remember that I'm an addict, you know. Um, but I've been reflecting a little bit on how much. Well, work and there's it was. and there may be some people who listen to your story. In all honesty, that you're so healed, they have a hard time relating to you. That could be because they're 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 so back there that they're like, it seems like he knows where I was, but he's so different I'm, from me. That, that was one thing when I first heard Chris's story. I was like, dude, this is amazing. This guy. But I remember just being like, dude, you and I are not the same. Because I was still so close to the pain. The pain. Yeah. And and he at that time, I don't know, five or six years, seven years at that point in time. And so it was just like we were in such a different place. I mean, it was still really relatable. But I, I think there's – 
But I think I bring that up to point to like you have real healing. Like for you to be able to sit here and share this, what most people would be so ashamed of. Right. Life story, right? Like most people who'd have a life story like you would never share it because they're too ashamed about it. So for you to sit here and talk about it in such a, like, not like minimizing way, but like nonchalant way, like that just shows the healing you've had. Yeah. To be like, oh yeah, dude, I was going to jail, I was drugs, I was women, and just, and like the pain, like you're not carrying around that pain anymore. No. It's amazing, man. It's, it's awesome. Um, you know, part of the reason why I share it is I have a responsibility to share it. It's the 12th know? step. Keep what you have by giving it away. Um, you know, all those people that God used to speak to me, you know, I want to I want to I want to help him by helping somebody else the way he wants me to, you know, totally. um, which is, you know, why sometimes I'd, I'd love to just tell my whole ward, you know, hey, I'm a sex addict and this is how I got better because I know there's guys out there that are dealing with it. Yep. Um, I, be I, careful, Dave, because if you did that then they would all come talk to you. Well, and, and that's fine. Help. I want them to. <laughs> but, you know, yeah. I think my wife still has a little bit of... Uh, sure. You know... It's harder she, in that setting, right? You, you got to think about the way the society probably imagines a, what a yeah. sex addict is, yeah. right? People judging, people, yeah. My kids, I'm not letting my kids go play at his house. He's right. Like, go back to your exactly. thing. The uneducated, he must be some pervert. He, yeah, totally. Exactly. Um, yeah, no, I, no I, I mean, that. I think that all makes sense, but... I mean, so I guess the the question I would ask you, you know, in closing is, like, for those guys who are still in the pain, are still debating, you know, and to be honest, I, I fit in this category, too, because I've leaned into the wind a lot, and then I've kind of taken a step back and gotten blown over, and then I'm like, no, nah, I should lean in, and I, so I'm far enough down the road of recovery that I've leaned into the wind a lot, and I'm like, dude, it works, like, I've had some healing. I put in the work, but then my commitment hasn't been 100%. Dave, I still am like, I don't know. Maybe I this is kind of hard. Maybe I shouldn't lean in. Maybe something isn't going to change in the doubts, right, and the fears, and and so there, you know, a lot of men listening to this, you know, women who have spouses, couples that listen to this, are still in that kind of bad place that that I know so well and you know so well, and so if you had them sitting here with you and me right now. What would you say to him? What would you tell him? I would tell him to hang on and don't give up. Um, in the big book of AA, it says we claim spiritual progress, not spiritual perfection, which is really key because if we start expecting perfection, we're going to be disappointed. And when we fail, that that contributes to the, the cycle. Um, you know, we're going to have failures. But if we're not expecting ourselves to be perfect, then those failures aren't this big, huge thing. It's just a step, you know. I've heard people say that, uh, you know, relapse is part of recovery. That's not necessarily true, but it's part of some people's recovery. I learned, I learned a lot from my relapses. Yeah. Not to say that everybody should go relapse because they'll learn something from it. Right. Right. But I mean. We're going to make mistakes. You know, we can't take ourselves too seriously, but we have to take ourselves serious enough. You know, yeah. and, and having the right connection with God is the key to that balance. Um, you know, God, God, he'll show us. He'll show us what we need to do. He'll show us what we need to concern ourselves with. You know, if I, 
right now. I mean, I got a potty mouth at work, you know. But it's not one of those things that God's telling me, you need to fix this right now. You are such a horrible person for saying that word when you're frustrated. Yeah. You know, I, I don't expect perfection for myself. You know, but there, there are times where, uh, you know, that, that thought crosses my mind, you know. yeah. The accountability you know, if I need a change. Right, you know, yeah, yeah you know, yeah, yeah. You, you cuss a little bit, but you're a little over the top now. You're, you're driving the spirit away. You know, I don't, I don't, yeah. I don't believe that every every swear word drives the spirit away, but in excess or in the wrong spirit of things, you know. Um, yeah, no, you're. Yeah, I mean the work. Yeah, I mean the work and pride, and that's that's good because as an addict, you think I have to arrive. I have to arrive. I have to be fully changed. So I like, I arrive like at the lot. next step is the only like arrival there's going to be. Yeah, you're never going to. There's no destination. It's just a journey, and um, it's worth it. You know, especially when you when you get to a point where you look back and see how far you've come. I mean, that that generates so much hope. Yeah. And if if somebody's at a point where they don't really see a change, uh, I would encourage them to look a little deeper. Yeah. Because if if they're if they're on a path of recovery, re- no matter how committed they are, there's going to be progress. You know, you can't you can't take a step in the right direction without making some progress. Um, yeah, no, well said. So we like to end with a song. All right, are we singing? Would you like to? <laughs> no, not I've really. never had anyone volunteer. <laughs> not volunteering. I just wow, <laughs> we dual threat, excellent recovery story, great testimony, and he will serenade us. So, Dave, people thinking about your story, we're going to end on a song here. So, what song do you want it to be? Uh, Shoulders by For King and Country. Who I love, Saw Live, they're amazing. Why that song? Um, Because I think it illustrates um, what Christ did for us. Help us realize that, uh, you know, he was willing to do whatever it took for us to heal. I look up to Did he do it for you, Dave? Did it for me. It was my strength. Did it for everybody. Oh, yeah. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't be here if you didn't. God. I was I was trying and to. They did it for your wife. Not again, not that you're perfect. And you know what on this, do you really think you can do it for whoever's listening right now? I know he can. He can do anything. Thanks for coming on, Dave. Thanks you're for welcome. being on Thanks for having me. And with that we'll leave you guys with our friends from King Country. My head